<laughs> now I know what you do with your free time, man. <laughs> Okay. Oh. Let us know when you're ready there. Ready. Okay. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. We are ready. Ready to go with exhibit A. Hello, ready. Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Don. Long time no see. <laughs> you were just on our celebrity uh, uh, podcast where we talk about celebrity stories. Yeah. And uh, I got you back, so I'm pretty lucky. Um, so we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the most spectacular thing that might have happened in this century less than a week ago. You're looking, you're looking puzzled. You? Do you mean <laughs> the Dodgers winning the World Series? Of course. Of course I do. <laughs> now, I know that you're a true blue, okay? And we've got a handful of, not more than a handful, we've got a lot of people in the office oh, that yeah. are true blues. Now, you've got some people who go to games with us because our firm goes to these mm-hmm. games. But you're one of the ones that are a true fan, you know? Uh, how long have you been a Dodgers fan? Since my parents moved here, so my whole life. Oh my God! Yeah. So, how did you get into it? I don't. Was your dad a Dodger fan? I mean, he's a my. I think my mom's more of a sports fan, so they would take me to games, and I was a little kid, and then just you know, every year going to games became a regular thing, especially during the summer. You know, that was the thing to do. That is pretty cool. So this year, um, just unbelievable. You know, it was during COVID, and a lot of people are saying that there will be an asterisk, you know, behind the World Series. But I think the asterisk should be the team that brought the spirit back to L.A. Yeah. You know, I mean, them and the Lakers. I mean, it's just amazing that we've got two champions. But, yeah. But I, I personally felt so good after that win. I mean. It was such a great feeling. I mean, for me, it's probably going to be once in a lifetime. No, 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 no. <laughs> me, once in a lifetime. You? Come on. But Lakers and Dodgers? Okay. I mean, no, that... Okay, I'll concede that. But, you know, um, L.A. is becoming a sports town. Yeah, definitely a championship town. Uh, I think also what was a great feeling knowing that, you know, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, I was just like, Kobe was watching over us. That's really special, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, I come from Chicago. Baseball is loved in Chicago mm-hmm. and is hated in Chicago because <laughs> Chicago teams don't win that much. Yeah. There, there's been a, a couple of uh, recent, fairly recent World Series teams, you know, champions, but, you know, we could go 100 years without winning one, right? right. You know, so I come out to L.A. here, and it's the first time in my life that I've rooted for the team that I love, mm-hmm. and we win. I mean, and you know that it's been uh, a process. I mean, it's been like a four- or five-year process yeah. for them to win this championship, some might argue we should have really won it against Last Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, but to see them, and I, I think that really during COVID, where uh, our eyeballs needed something to yeah. watch that was live and, yes, and, exactly. and, and seeing the competition. I mean, it was just a great, great year. Right, like a shared experience. That's what I was telling my mom. Now that Dodgers are over, Lakers are over, now what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, well, one thing that we could do is we could celebrate Halloween. All right. <laughs> you know, so um, before we begin our talk, because we're going to talk about an appellate court decision today regarding domestic violence, uh, a very uh, important topic for the firm and everybody that's, you know, involved uh, in family law. I mean, we're going to be talking about a new appellate court decision. I think it's worthy of talking about, but I want to keep it light for a little bit. Uh, one of the things is that our firm is uh, hell-bent on winning every single year the championship of the costume contest. And uh, I walked out in the hallway probably, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, and I was amazed yeah. at what I saw. Did you see it? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's uh, look at uh, what we saw when we went out in the hallway. 
Now that is just uh, amazing. I mean, the spirit. I, I, you know, as the managing partner of a law firm, I love it when uh, people come together and they have fun like that. I mean, it really shows cohesiveness, and exactly. it, it, I think it speaks of the uh, competitive spirit of our office. That too. You know, number one. <laughs> yeah. Now that was that was really awesome, and when I saw that, I was shocked. But our producer of our podcast, our man who does everything social media and mm. marketing, went one step further. Okay, now he shocked me because uh, when I'm talking about David, David's sitting <laughs> over to my right. He's not on camera. But, uh, you know, over the past, I'd say, month, he's grown his hair out, man. He looked like a bushy dog, <laughs> you know. And, and I, as, the other day he walks into my office, and David, you could howl if, uh, if I'm wrong about this, but he comes into my office and he's dyed his hair. <laughs> and I'm going, dude, man, what's going on? And he explained it was for a Halloween costume or something like that. I'm like, let David be David, because David is a creative genius, yep. and let him do that. So today, I walk in, ready to do this podcast, and he's got all his hair cut off. <laughs> I mean, he's got a crew cut looking like he's in the military or something, you know? I'm like, what, is he joining the military and not telling us or something? <laughs> right? So... David, you know, bushy, you know, ragdog looking hair down to you know, what is going on. Well, let's let's see what he did for Halloween. Right. Let's take a look let's, at this. Let's see. Now, now that is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, um, that's I, you know, great. <laughs> I mean, the, the man is always full of surprises, and we love him for that. Okay, well, that's the fun stuff for right now. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about this new appellate court decision. What's the name of it? So this is Jennifer Kay versus Sean Kay. Okay. Uh, and in family court, a lot of times, or these appellate court decisions, they're referring to people's first names, and they're kind of abbreviating things for privacy, right. which I, I really don't understand in a lot of ways, but who am I? You know, I, so anyways, Jennifer Kay will call this case, mm-hmm. right? So this involves a uh, domestic violence allegation against a husband, and why don't you set up the facts for us? Yeah, so Jennifer Kay and Sean Kay were actually in a romantic relationship. They were never married, but they did share a daughter. Um, so it looks like 10 years after their relationship ended, she requested a restraining order against him based on three allega- separate allegations. The first was a pretty serious allegation of rape, alleging that their child was the product of a rape. Then she alleged that he slammed her into a door. And then the third was that he punched a refrigerator near her head, intending to hit her head. Okay, so let me stop you there. When I read the decision, and you correct me if I'm wrong, she was alleging uh, that she was the victim of domestic violence. She was referring to incidents that occurred way back in time. Yeah. Like like years ago, seven, eight, ten years ago. At least, right. Okay. And she wasn't really alleging anything new as far as like within the next couple of years or anything. She's she's going back. Going back, yes. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, the appellate court decision is how many pages? It's about 500 million. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's about 40. Yeah. I've never seen a a appellate court decision regarding domestic violence so detailed. Right. Uh, And tell us why it was so detailed. It was so detailed because each party had about 20 witnesses take the stand. So it was a six-day hearing, I believe. Um, and the judge, when he made his decision, he was very thorough in explaining why he made his decision. Yeah, you know, and the appellate court decision is a little unusual, I think, or maybe not. But, you know, in the old days, they didn't write decisions this lengthy. And it seems like they went through every single witness's testimony yeah. and laid it all out. And maybe they did that for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. But we're not going to go through every single incident. I mean, <laughs> we'd be here for a couple of hours right. and everything. But in summary, what happened during the trial? 
So during the trial, they the judge allowed about 13 witnesses on each side, and essentially each witness corroborated dad's story of the events. Essentially, they corroborated that mother was the one that was very volatile and controlling and angry. So it became a credibility issue. Well, let me stop you there. She did call some witnesses that vouched for her in some ways. Y- yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they were her friends, and yeah. you know, they would they would essentially say, "Oh, I don't know. She's never mentioned that he was controlling or abusive, or." But they would say, "You know, she's a great mom," type of thing. Yeah, and, and he was a little bit of a maybe an angry guy or something like mm. that. They, they nobody was a percipient witness, right? Right. You know. So okay, go ahead. Right. No one actually had witnessed the alleged abuse. Um, what else occurred? So the the damning maybe evidence was that he had a witness who did witness the alleged pushing her into the door incident. And she did testify. It was actually his wife at the time, but she testified that she witnessed uh, that he did not slam the door on her. Instead, she pushed her body in between the door and the wall to try to get into the home. Well, that's kind of interesting. He's remarried. And his current spouse comes in and testifies on his behalf right. and was a percipient witness to an incident that she was claiming, the ex-wife was claiming, mm. was a uh, domestic violence incident. She's right. claiming what? The, 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 the person who's making the allegation, mm. uh, Jennifer, what is she claiming? Jennifer is claiming that he literally slammed her body into the doorframe, which, you know, sounds like a very violent act. So the judge did opine that if a, a reasonable person, if they would have experienced a violent act like that, more than likely would have probably told someone right after that happened. And in this case, Jennifer Kay actually picked up Sean Kay's sister from the airport right after that happened and mentioned nothing about the incident. So the judge pr- basically said he believed the, hus- the boyfriend's story over Jennifer's story. So the, so the court is making some credibility calls. Definitely and as credibility. it pertains to this incident, the court's saying, well, I don't really believe that that happened. Right. Um, now let's talk about, so there's three incidents. That's one of the three. Mm-hmm. The other one is the uh, serious allegation that he forced himself on her sexually right. while they were, uh, I guess, in this apartment. They were kind of in a breakup relationship, but yeah. he had come over there and they had sex and she didn't want it or whatever and stuff. So that was another allegation. Right. And uh, what was uh, lacking in her testimony, or her evidence, I should say? So the judge did mention that he thought it was odd that she didn't make the police report or that she hadn't really told anyone this happened. Um, and that became a whole claim about gender bias and about not believing rape victims, alleged rape victims. Um, the judge, the trial court, the appellate court actually reasoned that in those type of situations, where an alleged victim is still befriending the alleged, uh, you know, rapist after. In this case, they went to drink beers together after she. They still had a sexual relationship. She allowed him to move into her apartment for many years. For afterwards. many years. So the judge <clears throat> thought that her behavior was inconsistent with the victim of rape. And and could I add that? Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Is is that? There was nobody that testified that she ever brought it up. It was something that was a, a you know, a late, you know, after years. Right. right. So, so actually, she made these claims. She filed this application for a restraining order about ten years after the alleged incidents. So that that huge time gap was kind of a credibility issue as well. Yeah, and on appeal, uh, from what I remember, the appellate court said, "Look, you know, we're going to take this seriously and take a look at the issue." And yeah. 
well, you know, nobody is saying that victims of domestic violence, especially, you know, uh, sexual assaults like this, uh, are expected to report it right away. In fact, mm-hmm. they know that from studies that right. a lot of them hold back. Right. But, but the appellate court said, if, I, if I'm right, is, is that over a long passage of time, then the court could look at that and say, mm, you know, and use it for, towards credibility, among yeah, other things, exactly. right? Exactly. And they also uh, stated that they understood that there was a syndrome where victims still befriended their alleged abusers. Um, and in that type of situation, the court would want to see statements from witnesses that the victim, you know, rep- said something to someone, this happened to me. Or that they could also put an expert on the stand regarding, uh, I believe it's rape victim syndrome, to kind of combat that, like, not reporting issue. Something over that long of a period of time, mentioning it to a friend or anything like that. Someone, yeah. Okay, so uh, the refrigerator incident. Talk (laughs) about that. Okay, so uh, Jennifer Kay claims that they were in an argument in the kitchen and that Shane was angry and he wanted to punch her, but instead he punched the fridge, which happened to be right next to her head. And she was very fearful that he was going to hit her. Uh, But then Shane Kay testifies. He says, yes, I hit the fridge. I punched the fridge. It was one of the worst moments of my life. And before I punched the fridge, I stepped away from her and I punched the fridge and then I exited the home. So the court opined that they did not think he intended, he did not intentionally or recklessly intend on punching her. It was more of a rage of fit type of situation. So I think that this is something that we need to maybe slow down and focus on this incident, because to me, this was probably the biggest yep. part of this case. Um, you know, so husband, or not the husband, because they were never married. His name's Sean? Is that uh, Shane. Shane. So Shane... Um, he, gets, he's, he didn't have to, but he says, yeah, th- I did do this. Yeah. You know, and I regret doing it. It was maybe one of the lowest points in my life. Right. Um, I became frustrated, and I punched the refrigerator. I think that him coming forward and being truthful about that mm. was significant in the trial, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, this was the only incident that Jennifer was contesting at the appellate court. That, And then she, she, she brought in testimony that he used to be a boxer, and that he actually killed someone in the ring, uh, using that as evidence to support that maybe he intended on hurting or killing her. But it was refuted. I mean, he right. took the stand. He said, no, I never killed anybody. Yeah, I and was... actually the, the owner of the boxing ring or something testified that he used to just work out there. He used to get beat up a lot yeah, in the gym. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No one wanted to take him on because he didn't have that much skill. Yeah. So, so anyways, with regard to the refrigerator incident, I don't want to lose focus because – even though he said, um, you know, I didn't intend to hurt her or scare her, uh, intent is not necessary in right. these cases, right? I mean, right. it's not an element like in a criminal case. We have to show a lot of times for particular crimes that there was specific intent. Right. In this case, that's not relevant. The legal standard was what? So it's uh, reckless or intentional to cause bodily injury, um, or it's that a reasonable person would be in apprehension, you know, that they were going to be hurt like imminent, that. Imminent harm, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that uh, this confirms something that I'm pretty sure that I argued recently in court, even though the judge didn't agree with me. It's not a subjective standard. Right. It's a reasonable right. uh, standard. So a reasonable person, would a person uh, reasonably be in fear of imminent bodily harm, right. you know, under these circumstances? Uh, and uh, what did the Court of Appeals say about that? So the Court of Appeals opined that it was not an intentional punch trying to hurt her. 
It was not reckless. Uh, a reasonable person would not be in fear of being punched because he did step away from her and towards the fridge. Yeah. You know what I, I think this is important is, is I'm learning because we're doing so many yeah. domestic violence cases. Uh, I think that every family law attorney probably is right now. Uh, the law's been changed. It's been loosened up so mm. that people could go in for abuse. And we know that the consequences are severe with yeah. regard to findings of domestic violence. You get a findings against domestic violence, what happens in family court? So there's a strong presumption against joint custody in family court. Yeah, it could also impact spousal support. So every family law attorney worth their salt is looking at that as either, oops, we're in trouble yeah. or hey, we need to allege this because it's happened and it's going to give your client an advantage. So, you know, what's interesting is is that we know from marriage of Menjivar and some other appellate court decisions that the passage of time is not necessarily for the, something that the court has to consider, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't say, well, that just happened, you know, six months ago or in, in enough times passed, I don't think it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. But this was a case of 10 years. Yeah. And uh, you still have that one incident. It's a violent incident. Uh, some people would argue that when you throw things across the room, like a cake, you know, uh, which happened in one of my cases, <laughs> you, know, you know, or you throw a, uh, a lamp, you know, across and it hits the wall, that that's disturbing the peace. Yeah. I mean, people get upset about those Definitely. things, you know, and stuff. Punching a refrigerator kind of falls within that same category, yeah. I would think. But the Court of Appeal uh, opined... Or didn't opine, but it, it deferred to the trial court, right? Right. And so, so that tells us a lot about the trial court's discretion, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. It, what does it tell us? Uh, that the appellate courts will defer to trial courts and their uh, basically their conclusion as to witness credibility. Yeah. yeah, and it's really not an appealable thing. So if a judge says, "I find that he's more credible than her." The, the appellate court's not going to, you know, try to retry the case for right. them, right? They're not going to go back and, yeah, exactly. I'm finding that the judges are really hip to this now. And so when we go into court, they're very careful yeah. in, in uh, stating what their findings are and saying all the right things, exactly. whether I agree with them or not in some of the cases. So uh, <laughs> it's very interesting. So what lessons do we learn from this case? What lessons do we learn? Uh, credible witnesses. Um the time, the passage of time is a huge thing, right? You're not going to, you can't wait 10 years to report some sort of domestic allegation, abuse allegation. Um, I mean, in this case, the corroborating witnesses corroborated his story, his events, his story of the events. And that's why the judge opined that he was more credible than she was. So I think, you know, get your witnesses, get your evidence. And uh, I mean, when I first read this case, when I first read the headline, you know, d- alleged rape, punching the refrigerator, You're like, throwing her into the door. I was like, he's going down. But the restraining order was denied. I was like, what? I need to read more. And that's what happened. His attorney presented a very good case for him. Yeah. There's been a strong movement over the past 10 years of bringing domestic violence uh, into the forefront in family court. When I started family law, uh, there was maybe one or two appellate court decisions, believe mm-hmm. it or not. I mean, that Domestic Violence Protected uh, Act has been uh, uh, enacted, but no, nothing was going on with it. And so courts were at a loss and the decisions were going crazy, you know, uh, in a lot of different directions. Then all of a sudden, there was this understanding that family court is a place where domestic violence has to be taken very seriously. Yeah. And so we've seen these decisions come out 
one after another. Every year when I uh, talk about uh, you know the past decisions of the year, we're talking about at least four or five new cases, right? Yeah. It's probably the hot hot ticket item. And I, you know, up there in Sacramento, they're enacting new legislation and they're they're doing all kinds of things like expanding the statute of limitations and uh, you know trying to make it easier for people to get relief and, and stuff. So I mentioned this because there's very few cases where the accused wins on appeal. Yeah. I mean, I can only think of maybe, you know, two or three of them. I mean, there's there's one that's SM versus EP, I think it is. And that one w- was long, long ago. And a lot of people think that in that case, uh, the appellate court might have gotten it wrong, mm. you know. So now we've got something that we could look at and, and cite to the court where in defense of people that might be falsely accused, yeah, right? exactly. And again, the trial court, huge discretion in deciding, you know, what goes on. The appellate court's not going to really double question or review the evidence all over again. So you need to maintain that record, an explanation on the record from the judge as to why he ruled a certain way, and uh, preserve your objections. I mean, that was a huge thing here, too. They didn't object to the the whole rape victim allegations thing, so the court couldn't really review that. Yeah, and know your judge, because yeah. judges, like every other human being on this planet, lean certain ways. Right. You know, I don't want to say bias, nope. because that's, uh, <laughs> I, you know, that's this appellate court, and we didn't get into this, but they spoke about bias. But people had leanings and stuff. And if you've been in front of a judge uh, a few times, you kind of know where they're at. And we could let our clients know, hey, you know, this is, Mm -hmm. this is a challenge or, hey, you know, it's looking good here because we've, we've been here before. Yeah, definitely know your judge. Yeah. Okay. Well, Stephanie, you were awesome. (laughs) Thanks, Don. What are you doing for Halloween? Um, not much. I mean, can't really, maybe just Leave candy on the porch for people to walk by and grab some. You could, you could dress up like a Dodger fan. Yeah, I mean, that's every day, right? <laughs> Wait, I'm waiting on my World Series gear. Yeah, oh my gosh. You know what? Next year, the, the price is going to be outrageous. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, some of those players are going to be leaving the team. So no. I, I, oh, that's what, that's Let's what I'm saying. Keep seeing. them all. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again for joining us. All right. Thanks, Don. And thank you for joining Exhibit A.